0: Please take out your Bibles and turn back in them to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, one last time, page 901 in the View Bible, which means that first of all, I owe you all an apology. I lied to you. I said that we were moving on from this text. I changed my mind. One more look. Last time was love. The time before that was bearing fruit, before that was abiding in Christ, before that I am. Jesus says, I am the vine, you abide in me and bear fruit, which is largely love for one another. I want to consider that one more time. And I want to consider it from another angle, looking at all of that again in light of part of the text that I just can't get away from. Part of this text I just haven't given sufficient attention to, so we've got to come back to it, and that is pruning. What is God always doing? He is pruning. What does that mean? I'll start with family. I've been thinking a lot about family lately, always watching and observing parents and children. Also, as my own youngest recently turned one, No longer a baby, and that made me sad, but it also has gotten me thinking more about this last go with this little one. Parenting regularly terrifies me. I regularly feel totally inept and incompetent in regards to this monumental responsibility I have been tasked with by God. But that does raise a question, well, what is this task What is this thing that I am supposed to be doing with my children, and what is it for? Parents, why and how are you raising your children, and to what end? How would you all answer this question, what is family for? What is family for? If you've already looked at my outline, you know what I'm going to say. Family is for forming If you are anxious for alliterative perfection, drop the is. Family for forming. Family for forming. And that is our big word today. Remember this word and remember the sermon, forming. We are going to talk for 40 minutes
1: about forming.
0: Or 50 minutes, give or take a little bit. But why? Why give such time and attention to this one idea, forming? Because I'm going to argue That God gives great time and attention to forming. And we should want to be about and up to what God is about and up to. And he is about and up to forming. And forming is one of the key ideas of this text, and it must be one of the key things we are doing and pursuing as Christians. God is always and in all things forming his people, and thus his people are also to be about forming and being formed, always and in all things. And we, we know what this word is and what it means to form is, is to shape or fashion or build. It's to mold something to be like, uh, to, to mold it into something else. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a wonderfully cheesy old cartoon, Super Friends. It was about the well-known DC superheroes, Batman and Superman and, and all those. But it also featured the much lesser-known but hilariously awesome Wonder Twins. You've probably never heard of the Wonder Twins, but their names were Zan and Jana. They were aliens. They also had an alien little monkey who helped them fight crime. It's crazy. Their power, though, they were shapeshifters. They were form changers. They would touch their magic rings together and say, Wonder Twin powers, activate! And then Jana would say, Shape of some object, and Zan would say, Form of some object, and then they'd each transform into those objects. In an actual episode that people wrote and put on TV and that people watched, the combination of objects was shape of an octopus, form of an ice unicycle. And then the octopus jumped on the ice unicycle and rode off to fight crime. I I, I don't know what was happening. I think I decided to be born in the 80s because I'm convinced that everyone was on drugs in the 60s and 70s. I don't know what you guys were doing. But that was the form of a dumb illustration for the purpose of grabbing your attention. Now keep it with me. For while that was super silly, this is super serious. While they were transforming into goofy things, God is transforming us into the most glorious of things. And this is the thing that he is doing for us and with us and in us and through us. This is why he saves us, what he saves us for. I'll say it again. We're pretty good at getting what we're saved from. We're seeking to better understand what we're saved for. And we are saved for forming and being formed into the image of God's son to the glory of God's name. This is what God is about and up to. What about you? What about us? Here's our big idea for the sermon today. Here's the sermon. God is forming us into a people who look like Jesus and love like Jesus, who then help form others into people who look and love like Jesus. God is forming us into people who look like Jesus and love like Jesus, who will then help form others into people who look and love like Jesus. God is about Forming us. And thus we are to be about being formed and forming others. That's the sermon. We'll consider it just in two points. Number one, I've got to defend this from the text and from Scripture. Uh, Is this what God is actually about? We'll consider that in point one. God is always and actively, always and actively forming his people. Spend a lot of time there. Then point two will be more the application. One of the main ways that he does that is that God is forming his people through his people, through one another. Those are our two points. Full disclosure this morning, this will be somewhat more of a topical sermon. We're not going to walk through the whole text as we normally would. We've done that now in four or five weeks. Uh, We're going to see where this is coming from in our text. And then we're going to use that as a jumping off point to consider some other texts and some other things. But God is about the forming of his people. God is about shaping us into the image of his son. What is forming you? What is the primary shaping influence in your life? Families, how are we forming? Church family, how are we forming? Well, let's read and consider God's forming word together. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's just such a wonderful text. This is our last time in it. John chapter 15 I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Please pay attention because this is what God wants to say to you today. This is how he wants to form you today. John 15:1 Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, Bow with me. Let's pause. Let's pray and ask for God to help us. Father, we thank you that you are good and gracious and kind to us. We thank you that you have sought us out and that you have saved us all by your grace. But Father, we thank you that you do not leave it there. We thank you that you are not just saving us from sin, but you are saving us for you and for holiness and for righteousness and for the relationship with you that is life and joy and pleasure forevermore. So we thank you that you not only save us, but that you shape and are shaping and forming us into the image of your son. Father, help us to see what it is that you are doing and and why it is so good. Help us to be more and more about what it is that you are about. Give us a great desire in and delight in holiness, Lord. And help us to love one another well as we seek to encourage one another along as you are forming us individually and corporately and to a people who are like and love like Your Son. Father, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that You shape and form and work by Your Spirit through Your Word. And so we ask that You would do that now in this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Point number one, God is always and actively forming His people. Let me first make my case that that is what God is actually about and that it's found in our text. For the last time, sadly, we're considering this Beautiful and brilliant metaphor of the vine and the branches. Look at verse 5. Jesus, preparing his disciples for his death and departure, is comforting them by teaching them. His last night with them, hours before the cross, and he continues to reveal himself to them. Because there's nothing they more need to know than who he is. And what he is about to do. And there is nothing you more need to know than who Christ is and what he has already done. And so he tells them who he is in verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. I realize that I have mainly focused there these past four or five weeks. I have not yet focused enough on verse 1. Look at verse 1. This is what we are doing today. Look at 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I think that's the part we haven't paid due attention. That's our focus. We've given lots of attention to Christ as I am, Christ as God himself, Christ as life, as we should. That's what the metaphor of the vine is communicating. The vine is life. Christ is life. A branch only lives as it is connected to the vine. We only live As we are connected to Christ. And the point of a vine is fruit. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. End of verse 2. God prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit, neither can you. Verse 5. Bear much fruit. And so this metaphor is about Christ. How He is life. How we only find life in Him. And how that life will bear fruit. More fruit much fruit. And I argued a few weeks ago that the fruit is Christ-like character and conduct. The fruit is Christ-like character and conduct. And that must be what the fruit is. Just as a branch attached to an apple tree will bear the fruit of apples, so the branch attached to Christ will bear the fruit of Christ. And this is the root of our big idea, Today, This fruit is what God is forming in us and through us. And so verse 1 again, the Father is the vine dresser. If you're following along in the King James, it says the Father is the husbandman. I am a husband by the grace of God and Melissa. The word comes from Old English. It's probably an old Scandinavian word. Hus meant house. Bondi meant the owner or holder of the house. But the owner, owner, and holder of a house back then was generally a holder and owner of the land. We're in New York City. We have no idea what that's about. We don't know any land at all. Uh, But thus this husband was the one responsible generally also for working that land. And so we still use husband in this sense some today when we talk about animal husbandry, which is concerned with the animal part of farming, of working the ground that's literally what the greek word where you read vine dresser the greek word is literally the word for land or soil attached to the verb for to work so the, the worker of the land or the soil so christ is the vine the father is the worker of the soil or the farmer or as i'm arguing the former right It's too bad of a pun there it's too bad of a stretch Now look at verse 2. What does God, as this vine dresser, this former of the vine, do? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That's where this forming idea is coming from. Pruning is forming. Fruit is the goal. Fruit is what God is doing. That's why first part of the verse, no fruit, cut off. Cast out. The idea that one can be attached to the Christ who is life, overwhelming, abundant life, and yet bear no fruit is utterly nonsensical and entirely in contradiction to the scriptures. So we should be looking at our lives. We should be examining the fruit of those lives. Is there life? Is there fruit? And remember, that fruit is Christ-like character and conduct or just Christ-likeness. God is making us like Christ, and he prunes us, he forms us to make us more like Christ. And this, I want to argue, is what God is always doing at all times, in all things, for and in and through his people. We've been asking the question, what is God about? What is he up to? I asked, what is family for? And my answer to both questions is, forming God is about forming. But let's take that back one step further. Why is that what God is about and up to? Look down at verse 8. Here we go. If you can get this, if you can catch God's vision for this, it could be transforming. Look at verse 8. By this my Father, who is the vine dresser, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is it ultimately that God is all about? What is he ultimately up to? And we know that the answer is glory. That's why God does anything and everything. Glory. That's why 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul takes the most mundane, daily, necessary activities. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever else it is, do all to the glory of God. That's why the first and foundational question of the Shorter Catechism, the most well-known catechism question ever, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We are to do all to God's glory because God first does all to God's glory, and that is right and good because He is the all-glorious Creator of all, and he created it all for his glory, meaning for, for the display of his infinite transcendence and greatness and beauty. Isaiah 6, 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Psalm 19:1, The heavens declare the glory of God. Why is the universe so absurdly big? Astronomers estimate that there's something like 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. I I don't even have the beginning of a comprehension of that number. Why so many stars? Why such a seemingly unnecessarily big universe? Well, Psalm 19:1 tells us that it's to tell us something about the God who spoke it into being. He's even bigger. All that glory in the heavens. The glory of 200 billion trillion beautiful massive balls of gas that light up the sky. Just a hint of his infinite glory. Why is there creation? Why is this beautiful sunny day? What is it there for? What's it meant to do? The whole of creation is there to scream his glory to us. Look at how big all of this is. Oh, he must be big. Look at how beautiful all of this is. Oh, he must be beautiful. Look at how good all of this is. Oh, he must be good. He made all of it to speak of himself and reveal him and testify to his own greatness and glory. And as God is the infinitely greatest and most glorious being, being, it is only right and good, it is necessary that all revolve around him and point back to him and honor and glorify him, displaying his greatness, making his name great. But of all that bigness and beauty, that sky, brilliant Carolina blue sky, right in the south we used to say, if God's not a Tar Heel, then why is the sky Carolina blue? It's just, come on, I couldn't resist. It's not even in my notes. But why is it so beautiful? Why, why 200 billion, of all those things, the beautiful sky, 200 billion trillion stars, uh, the, the intricacy of animals and Niagara and snow, just all these amazing things that reveal his glory. Where does God most reveal his glory? In you, in me, of all people. Well, we know G- Genesis 1, God speaks reality itself into life. He speaks light and there was. He spins the stars into existence, the land and the waters, teeming with the abundant variety of life. But the whole thing is building to a climax, and the climax is us, made in the very form of God. Genesis 1:26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, an image is a representation, a resemblance, a figure that is like another figure or a form. Thus, the likeness, uh, which is also just comes from the verb, which means to resemble or to be like or to be in the form of. Let's get more intimate, more specific. How did God do this? Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Image, likeness, form. That's what you are. And from the very beginning, this is what God has been all about. He made us, and he made us in some way like him to resemble him he formed and fashioned us to represent and resemble him and in so doing to reveal him and in so doing to glorify him you were formed by God himself in his very own image and likeness this is what God is about and up to from the very beginning the display of His glory through a people made by Him to be like Him, to be with Him, and so doing to glorify Him. And oh, by the way, since He's the God of life, full joy, and eternal pleasure, in doing so, uh, we get to enjoy Him forever. Right? His glory and our joy always go together. This is what you were made for. And this is good. This is what life is all about. And this is why the fall is so foolish. This is why our sin is both so silly and seditious. This is what we were giving up when we reject this God. This is what we are sacrificing when we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature, ourselves, rather than the creator. This is why he is rightly angry and full of wrath at such sin. Because it is a rejection of such good and grace and glory. And thus this is the chief and worst of injustices. Know that your sin separates you from this God of all glory. Know that you have offended him greatly in choosing self. My little, petty, stupid self. Choosing that over him? And his glory, 200 billion trillion star creating glory, I choose this instead of that. That's sin. And that's how stupid it is. And know that such a sin deserves an eternity of suffering and hell. And know that this all-glorious God is also so unimaginably full of goodness and grace that he has done something for us about that very stupid and wicked sin problem that we created and that something is Christ who Hebrews 1 3 is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature who John 1 is the word of God who was with God and is God and who makes him known who Philippians 2 6 though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see that God made us in his form. We ruined it in our sin. But God... But God himself came in Jesus Christ, who though he himself was the form in the form of God, he took on the form of man so that he could represent us, take our place, do what we failed to do, and pay the penalty we deserved for failing to do so, so that we could be forgiven. We were made in the form of God. We chose instead the form of sin. And so God himself came and took on our form and our sin and the death that we deserved so that we could live. So he saved us from sin and death and he saved us for forming. He saved us, we sinned, but he hasn't changed what he's about and what he is doing. And so now in Christ, he is reforming. Us. He is transforming us. He is still about making us like Him for His glory and our good. Romans 8, 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. Galatians 4:19. Paul is in the anguish of childbirth for the Galatians until Christ is formed in you. This is what God is doing. He is forming Christ in you. This is what he is about in everything. He is making us like his son, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the perfect person, perfect in holiness and happiness, perfect in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what God is doing for you and in you. That's what you are saved for. Doesn't that sound amazing? He I mean, does it honestly. Are you, are you excited about that? Longing for that? Pursuing that? The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Because that's what God is all about and is always doing. That's the pruning. But yes, we know that pruning is sometimes painful. More Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for Discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Paul's fathers discipline your sons and your daughters, of course. If you don't, you're treating them as if they aren't your children. Verse 10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Pruning is forming. Discipline is forming. And God is doing it always. He is the sovereign God over all. doing it always in all things for our good. If there is sickness and disease in a plant, for the life and good of the plant, it needs to be cut out. If there is lingering sickness and disease in me, for my life and my good, it needs to be cut out. And God graciously does that through his pruning. And God does his pruning in three primary ways. His word, his providence, his people. How do we change and grow? How does God form us? His word, his providence, his people. His word is first and foundational. We consider that in verse 7. My words abide in you. It is the word that is God's primary means of shaping and molding us. So the forming and the shaping and the molding, you separate yourself from the primary means through which God does it. You're separating yourself from the shaping and the forming and the molding. But well, we spend a lot of time on the Word. I want to focus here on His providence, and then I want to close with His people in point two. So first, God forms and shapes through His providence. Did you pay attention to what you just sang, by the way? I'm so thankful that Andy picked this song. I love, I love John Newton, and I love this song. Open up your bulletin and go back a page. I know you're anxiously taking notes, but just turn a page back for a second. And look there at the song that we just sang. This is John Newton. It's so good. So what did he, what did he ask? What are, we, what are we singing? Well, verse 1 tells us, he, he asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his faith. Again, doesn't that sound great? Isn't that what every Christian should at least want? It's to know him more. It's to seek his Face His face is his presence. Psalm 16, full joy, pleasure forevermore. That's what we want. And so Newton asks that he might grow in faith and love and every grace. That he might be formed in all these things. Again, that's what I want. He asks, how does God answer? Verse 2. Well, we see, we we don't know yet, but we see that in verse 2, it's in such a way that almost drove Newton to despair. Well, that's a sudden shift. From verse 1 to verse 2, the the tone from verse 1 to verse 3, they're completely different. Verse 3, we see what Newton hoped for. He wanted subdued sins. He wanted rest. What did he get? Look at verse 4. Instead, God made him feel the hidden evils of his heart. And Newton felt as if the very powers of hell were assaulting his soul. Look at verse 5. It seemed that the very hand of God himself was against Newton. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt as if the very hand of God himself seemed to be against you? Go read the Psalms. David felt that. For Newton, it felt that God himself was an intent to aggravate Newton's woe, to humble him and lay him low. Why? Newton cries out in verse 6. Why pursue such a worm as me in such a away and the Lord begins to answer tis in this way i answer prayers for grace and faith that is growth that is this is how i form why verse 6 sorry verse 7 i think i have a different number of counting look at verse 7 these inward trials i employ from self and pride to set you free And break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. That's how God prunes. And he does it through his providence. Through his perfectly ordained and ordered plan. As he decrees and directs all things, all things, all the circumstances of your life, all the good And the bad, all the big and the tiny, frustratingly small, the delightful and the dreadful. He brings it all. He brings it all to bear on you and on your heart, on my heart, that heart that is still so prone to stubbornly cling to sin and self, that is still so prone to stubbornly insist that joy and meaning are found within, that happiness is dependent upon favorable earthly circumstances. But God, who knows us and loves us, knows better. And since love seeks the good of the loved, God, like a skilled surgeon, brings to bear on us the knife of his providence, the difficulties of life, the difficulties of other people, onto our difficult hearts. And he does it to root out the stubborn selfishness and sin that remains. And that continues to to keep us from finding our all-in him, and thus the full joy and satisfaction and pleasure forevermore that is found in Him. And so God prunes, probingly, piercingly, painfully, providentially, purposefully, but all of it lovingly as He brings about our ultimate and eternal good. This is what God is about. This is what He is up to, I believe, at all times and in all things. And so your first and foundational application is simply to, to know and consider that and to fight to believe that. I, I don't I frequently have conversations with people. They come to me with something and I just, I'm, I, I'm screaming in my head, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Right? I don't know why God is doing what he's doing here. I don't know what God is doing in all the particulars. I don't know all the immediate whys. But we do know what God is ultimately doing. We do know the big why. And so what if we began to read our circumstances, the difficulties of life, through this lens? Not just as some unmitigated tragedy, some devastation, some meaningless misery or purposeless pain, but as God's mysterious, sometimes painful, but always purposeful, loving providence, which he has promised he will work to bring about our ultimate and eternal good. What if I could see and actually believe that all the daily difficulties and temptations toward frustration and discouragement were God graciously revealing my heart and the sin that remains? What if I actually believed that my problems were not all those difficult people out there, but my own stupid, difficult heart? I am my own problem. Right? I am my own worst enemy. And God uses all the things out there to reveal all the things that are still in here because He loves me. And he's patiently and persistently forming and molding me into the image of his perfect son. What if I believed he was doing that in everything? Wouldn't that change how I responded to those things? Humbly submit yourself to the pruning and forming of your sovereign, gracious, heavenly father. Learn to lean on and trust in his providence. Heidelberg Catechism, question 27, is one of my favorites. What do you understand by the providence of God, the almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were by His own hand, He still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things... Come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things, no things by chance, but all things by his fatherly hand. Nothing comes to you and at you by chance. Everything comes to you and at you by his fatherly pruning hand to fix and form you and to make you like Jesus Christ himself, who was Full of joy and perfect in love. And that's what gets us to our second point. That, that love. Christ is love. We'll be much shorter here, but I want you to see again what this love is and then what we are called to if this is what God is doing. Point number two. God is forming his people through his people. I really messed this up yesterday. I had grand plans. I had three points we were going to talk about the forming uh, through family, and then I wanted to argue how church is family, and then how God forms through church family, and I just ruined it. Um, I still have much forming to do as a preacher. Uh, so let me, let me shove these things together and deal with them both briefly. And we're now looking more horizontally at what we are called to do in light of what God is doing. And I want to talk first for a second about family. Family is for forming, and parents, I simply want to take 1 minute uh, to encourage you that we must take this more seriously. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, well then the chief end of children must also be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that must then mean that you are to be all about doing everything that you can to form your children according to God's word, patiently and persistently and prayerfully doing everything that you can to prepare them and put them in the way of God's saving and shaping grace. Parents, how are you forming your children? How are you raising them? Ephesians 6, 4 tells you, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's parenting. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction are forming. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. If parents, if you're going to memorize verses. It's very easy. Two parenting passages Ephesians 6, 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. This is parenting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So Moses says there that God's words shall be on your heart, on and in, and thus forming the very core of who you are. And then you're to teach them diligently to your children, talking of them constantly, teaching them, talking of them. That's, that's forming. Parents, are you forming your children? Are you the primary forming influence in your children's lives? Or is it government schools? Or is it their own peers? Or is it screens? Please hear me. Screens shape. Screens are probably the primary forming force in our culture right now. Please protect your children from them. Please don't let them be shaped by screens. Please don't give them smartphones until they're something like 75. I don't know. 80, 80. Maybe 75-year-olds can handle screens. Most of us are proving that we can't handle screens. Don't give them to your kids. And please don't give them social media until ever. There is no more fatally forming and suicidally shaping influence than social media, especially on young people. Just go and Google it. Just read some of the reports and studies of what screens and social media are doing to young people, especially to teenage girls. Please protect them. Don't feed and form your children with poison. The point is, regardless of some of the particulars and some of the different ways we may all go about executing this, the point is that something is going to form your children. Just like our big idea is that God is always and actively forming his people, so is something always and actively forming all people. We're constantly taking in something. Constantly being influenced by something. And we are shaped and formed by whatever it is that we are taking in. Please read Psalm 1 and take it very seriously. Ultimately, everyone is being either formed by the world or the Word. Parents, do everything that you can. Give yourself to nothing as much as you give yourself to this. Zealously seek to form your children with the words of God that are eternal life. With God's gracious word that reveals and relates and with God's word that shapes and saves. That means that you have to go at this with great intention and give this great attention. You must read and know the word yourself and then read it and talk about it with your children. You must protect them. Why would we not do this? Protect them from the world that God's word calls evil and passing away. You know how much love for the world still remains and resides in my heart that still needs to be rooted out? I want to do everything that I can to protect my children from loving that which God calls evil and passing away. He says you can't love the world and love me. It's one or the other. Our children are going to stand before God on judgment day. And we will give an account for how we have raised and sought to form them. Parents, we can't be foolish. We must protect our kids. And that means, hey, we're going to be different and we're going to look different. That means that the world is going to think that we're weird. And that's okay. If the world doesn't think that we're weird, we might be doing something wrong. We have been entrusted with the forming of eternally precious and valuable souls. Don't give up that privilege. Don't give that forming over to some other force. It's so important. But it's not at all that complicated. Parenting is affection, instruction, and correction. That's it. It's it's affection, it's instruction, and it's correction. Delight in your children. Direct your children. Discipline your children. All in the context of the word of God. And the gospel of God that is the power of God for the salvation of your children. Family is for forming. How are we forming our kids' families? And how are we forming our kids' church family? See, you have a huge role to play in this. I don't want the primary influence of my kids to be after myself and my parents to be peers of theirs. I want it to be you guys. I want them to be shaped and molded by uh, Henry's teaching them um, chess and by Broomers playing basketball with them and by Elaine constantly feeding them. Right? I want uh, Christy to be caring for my kids. Right? I want us to be the shaping and forming influence of one another and of our children, families, church family, and all of it is to be about forming one another and our kids for God's glory. Family is performing. Church family is performing. And I'll close with this. Go back to John 15. Finally. Right? I warned you this was topical. But I think that this is what the end of the passage is really about. So let me draw your attention to this and close with it. Oh, I'm sorry, like 20 minutes. Okay. No. <laughs> Look at verse 12. What's this really about? This is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you, same thing again, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And my argument here is simply that since God's loving of us includes his forming of us, our loving of one another must include our forming of one another. Just as parents have the privileged and weighty responsibility of forming their children according to God's word, so too do all of us have the privileged and weighty responsibility of helping in the forming of one another according to God's word. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Christ's mission is the saving and shaping of His people. He finds them and He forms them. That means that we, as Christ's disciples, His followers, are also tasked with the same mission of finding and forming His people. We do that through the preaching and teaching of the Word that saves and shapes sinners. The mission is the salvation of souls and the sanctification of of souls, the, the forming them into the image of God's Son, and God does that through his word, through his providence, and amazingly enough, through his people, through us. This is the saved from and for. So that means our, our sermon title, we are formed and we're forming for God's glory. He formed us so that we can be about forming others for God's glory. Glory. Our God is about the forming of his people. We are then to be about the forming of his people. The fruit that God is forming in us is Christ-like character and conduct. And what we are seeing again and again and again in John is Christ's great love for his people. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. That's how this whole section opens. And he did that to the point of laying down his life for them. Because they could not live without his substitutionary death in their place. And since life is the highest good, life in and with God himself, Christ was willing to do that which would bring about the highest good of those whom he loved, even at great cost to himself. And this is how we are to love one another. We are to intentionally seek the good Of one another as Christ has first done for us. I gave you the borrowed, stolen definition of discipleship a few weeks ago. It is the the doing of intentional spiritual good to another, It's, it's, it's helping another to become more like Jesus. It's coming alongside and forming one another as God is forming us. And that requires time, that requires presence. That requires knowing one another, that requires praying for one another and with one another, plug, passive aggressive, come to prayer. It requires actually caring about one another and then doing something. It's connecting, communicating, helping, reading, praying, playing, that's part of it too. Family that plays together, stays together, right? God forms his people through his people. Are you, are we? about the thing uh, that God, uh, the God that we say that we love and follow. Are we about what He is about? Are we actively and attentively looking for ways in which we can love one another and be a part of the best thing in the world? What if we got to be part of helping form someone into the image of Christ? Why would that not be our biggest and highest goal? I have all these stupid goals that don't matter. They don't matter. What if this was the goal? What if this is what we got excited about? Hey, I got to help that person become a little bit more like Jesus today, simply by being with them or encouraging them or directing them to God's word. Who are you loving like this? How can you start loving someone like this? It starts with presence and active intentionality. Reach out, talk to someone, try and get to know them. Uh, What about today? What if there's someone in this room you're like, I have no idea who that person is and I think they're a member of this church. Um, Talk to them. (laughs) Go meet them. Greet them. Ask uh, how you can pray with them. Spend some time with your church family. It's it's supposed to be a family. We spend a lot of time together uh, as a family. I wouldn't have it any other way. We're supposed to spend a lot of time together. I'd be happy to spend some time with you at the ping pong table. This this afternoon, just come join me. But no, come to prayer. I've been so blessed by getting to know many of you better simply by listening to you pray. I love listening to people pray and learning about them. Whatever it is, do something because of the infinite and eternal something God has done for you. God is forming us into a people who are like Jesus. Get excited about that. Eternity, perfect, rest, peace, joy with him. And that means that he is forming us into a people who are to be all about finding and forming other people to be like Jesus. There's, there's no higher calling. Woodside, this is what our great and glorious God is about. My prayer is that this is what we would increasingly be about as well. Let's close um, and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we want to be about what you are about. Father, help us to see how good and gracious what you are doing for us. Father, forgive us for how quick we are to want to be saved from sins and, and spared from hell and the fear of hell, but so that we can go on and, and, and get on with the rest of our lives and do all the other things that everybody else is doing, that the world is doing, without the fear of this, this hell thing. Father, please forgive us. Open our eyes to who you are and how good and glorious and gracious you are. Help us to see what life is all about, and it's, and it's you. And it's knowing you and it's being with you and it's by your grace slowly becoming more and more like you. Father, why don't we get excited about the most exciting thing? You are making us perfect. You are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory to enjoy forever with you and with one another. With no more sin, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, none of that all passed away life perfected with you forever. Father, help us to be about what it is that you are about. We thank you that you are so patient and persistent in your forming of us. We're so thankful that you do not deal with us according to our sins. Father, may we more and more reflect who you are in those things as we relate to one another. Help us to be patient and lovingly persistent with one another. Father, help us to care about one another and care especially about the eternal spiritual good of one another and continue to make Woodside Community Church into a family that loves one another well because we are growing in our knowledge and experience of your perfect love for us. Father, form us into the image of your Son. We thank you that you who uh, promise, you who begin this good work is faithful and you will bring it to completion. So help us to trust and delight and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.